So I think probably the experiences that have been ours, were we able to sit face-to-face and talk to our friends for a length of time, I think they would probably be very, very similar, concerned about families, concerned about their churches, trying to navigate what it means to isolate socially, you know, to have that kind of social distancing, but at the same point in time, trying to trying to think through what that means to the church and uh, and in particular to our to our faith. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Greg Morrow, the executive director of the Future Leadership Foundation. FLF works in countries around the world in helping to train up Christian leaders, and I've had the opportunity to travel with them, partnership with Word and Way, to Cuba, to India, and to Poland. We've had coverage in the magazine, as well as some coverage here on the podcast in various episodes. So I was glad to have a conversation with Greg, not only to talk a bit more about FLF, but also to talk about how international missions and partnerships is, is being impacted by this unusual time of coronavirus that we find ourselves in. And so I think it's important that we're remembering that even though the United States is is feeling coronavirus particularly harsh, that this is still a global pandemic and that our Baptist brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing many of the same things that we are experiencing. So Greg's going to help us keep that focus on our minds. So here's my conversation with Greg Marl of the Future Leadership Foundation. All right. Well, Greg, first of all, thanks for joining us on the program. I'm glad to glad to join you. Now, before we kind of jump into the topics that I wanted to talk about, we are in this unusual time of coronavirus. And so I wonder, how are you doing you personally and your family? Are, are you all staying safe during this unusual time? Yeah, we are. Um, my wife is a licensed clinical social worker, and so she has been... Uh, doing therapy from home by way of Zoom and telephone contacts for about two and a half months. And other than that, I teach at the University of Missouri, and we went online with all of our classes the week before spring break in March and continued that to the end of the semester. And I'm serving as an interim pastor right now in the church. And like many churches, we ended up having to go to um, uh, online services by way of FaceTime live streaming. And although we are on the radio live, and so so the three responsibilities that I share right now, um, FLF being primary, and then my teaching at the university and the interim pastor, that's all worked well. And our family as well. Um, our daughter is a um, senior team leader in a division with um, uh, at the state of Missouri. And then our son works for the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, our youngest son, our oldest son is a pastor. And uh, they all three are doing well with their families. So we've had no 
no uh, infections or anything of that nature. So we're all doing really well and trying to do our best to adjust as everybody is in this crazy time. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, you mentioned here you are learning how to both teach and preach online, you know, all of a sudden with very little notice. What's been maybe the most difficult or discouraging part during this time period? And I wonder if there's been something that's been encouraging or that you have found as an unexpected blessing. Yeah, I think I don't know that I've found anything terribly discouraging. I think probably one of the most interesting adjustments in my teaching at the university, we had six weeks FaceTime in class and then had to go online. And of course, the entire university system was doing that. And I think in large part, the university handled it really, really well. It's a little different teaching online, although I think it worked well in that we had the weeks that we had face-to-face with students prior to going online. So that helped a great deal. With regard to the church, I think that has been, uh, that's done well in that we were already live streaming our services and we're on the radio live. And so really the adjustment to a uh, kind of a a maximum of 10 people helping with the praise team and, and the sound audio video, that really was not very difficult because we were already doing that. With respect to FLF, the challenges have been a little greater because of time differential and also sometimes connections are not as strong. Like when you Zoom or Skype, uh, you might catch somebody where they have a weak signal or it may be the time of day, which is like a 12-hour time differential in some instances between uh, here in Missouri and who we work with internationally. But, But overall, I think things have gone really well. I've been very surprised at how easy and smooth the transition has been to the online communication. Of course, nothing beats face-to-face. And, um, but uh, right now we have to do what we have to do. And so, but overall, I, I think it's, it's gone pretty well in terms of what I might have expected. Well, good. Well, I want to especially talk about FLF, Future Leadership Foundation. You serve as executive director. And for those that aren't familiar with FLF, I wonder if you could tell us who is FLF? What do you all do? Yeah, the Future Leadership Foundation um, has a history of nearly 17 years now. And in short, Brian, what we do is we develop Christian leaders globally. We do that in a partnership, assuming equality in both our international partners and ourselves. And our international partners really drive the agenda. Most often when we find ourselves in a new location, we spend a great deal of time listening and uh, trying to assess what they believe the needs are. And as they develop those needs, then we try to provide assistance to them in developing leaders according to the parameters that they have set in place. And of course, those are as varied as the places in the world in which we serve. Uh, We train uh, pastoral leaders and uh, leaders in music ministry and in youth ministry. We we train foster adoptive um, parents, and we do that uh, in connection with partners that we have here in the United States, such as the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, who's a wonderful partner for for the work that we've done internationally. So um, so in large part, I think it's a matter of uh, letting the international partners set the agenda, and then we are responsive to that. That's been a little challenging with COVID-19, and I can talk a little more about that if you'd like. But in large part, what we do is we train Christian leaders globally, and we've done that for many years. We are on the European continent, in Eastern Europe, um, in Central America and Asia, and uh, sometimes find ourselves in the Baltic states and other locations as well. 
Yeah, I, I, my next question was, I was curious about how things have been during this time of COVID-19. Obviously, you can't travel, and I know you and others had trips that were planned, and so that does make connecting with partners a little bit different. But at the same time, you're not just saying, oh, well, I guess we can't do anything. We still need to find ways to walk alongside Christian leaders in these countries. And so I wonder if you could tell us how things are going right now in the pandemic. Yeah, that's great. Well, to begin with, what we transitioned with our executive committee of our board, who's authorized to act on behalf of the board in between board meetings, we met on March the 13th. And at that time, it was so obvious, Brian, and this is not unique un- only unto us. It's tr- it was true for everybody. There was no stability, it seemed, when um, we found ourselves moving from the middle March to the end. And by that, I mean, you can make a decision at 10 o'clock in the morning, and by one o'clock, it's not that you made the wrong decision. It just was irrelevant because of changing circumstances. So we sought to create some stability for ourselves by saying at our March 13th executive committee meeting that we would suspend our international travel through May 31st. And at our board meeting on April the 30th, we would reevaluate. We did that at that time. And uh, we continued to suspend our travel operations through July the 31st. Now we do have some some trips that are still on the board for uh, from the 1st of August through the end of November. But again, it, it appears that those may have to be put on hold as well. So initially the problem was, of course, borders were being closed and uh, countries were um, going through quarantine just as we were you know, here people not being allowed to interact in groups larger than a particular amount. And that is what caused us to to halt our travel operations through May 31st. That has changed now with our finding that here in the States, communities are being allowed to open up slowly. But it's very unique for us because it is still a requirement of the countries into which we travel that when you arrive, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And of course, now uh, the policy in the United States currently is that most often if you come from a country, it may be unique to certain countries and others, but universally it's pretty true. You have to quarantine for 14 days as you re-enter the country. Well, we often enlist volunteers that will help us to serve in teaching capacities, leadership roles, but it's very difficult to ask somebody, for example, Brian, you've traveled with us to Poland. If we had asked you to um, travel with us, but you knew that you had to leave two weeks before the 10-day trip, and on the back end, quarantine for another 14 days before you could get back to your regular duties, FLF would be asking you to to give nearly 38 days to this 8- to 10-day mission experience. And that's really not feasible for most of our volunteers, probably for any of them. So right now, we've kind of shifted. And at our board meeting in April... We took kind of a new tack. Again, we develop Christian leaders globally. Most often what that means is we do training seminars or teaching events in seminaries and in uh, other kind of settings. But what we have done is we have shifted to three new priorities. The first priority is to, first of all, minister to our gatekeepers. By the way, Brian, I I really appreciate it. The first question you asked had to do with how I was doing and how my family is. That's the exact same question that our field service workers 
are asking our international partners. We know we have work to do. We know we have plans on the table. But before we discuss that, how are you doing and how's your family? So the first step that we've decided is that this year we will develop Christian leaders globally by ministering to those whom are gatekeepers to the work, the ones that are our contacts. The second thing that we most often do is this. We seldom, if ever, send funding without having boots on the ground, as you might say, as trainers. One thing that FLF is very strong in is that we do not wish to create among our international partners what we would call path dependency. In other words, to just send money puts people often in a position of dependency, and that is not their desire. Certainly, it's not ours either. So most often, if we if we don't have trainers, then um, that's one of our criteria in the partnerships that we that we approve is it's sharing not only financial resources but human resources. However, during COVID nineteen, we are finding that we're having to be a little more loose with that criteria, and here's why. Just like here in Missouri, people are beginning to move around more freely in church, but also in restaurants and other places. And the same is true in some of our international settings. They're beginning to move more freely. So, for example, we have an experience in Estonia that's a training event that were we to send trainers, it might require them to commit 38 days to that event. 14 days quarantine on the front end, 8 to 10 days in the country, and then another 14 days quarantine on the backside. We cannot do that. However, they are possibly still going to have the Youth Futurama experience. And so we are looking at ways that we might be a little freer with distributing funding in support of the events that we have approved, i.e. with, with our trainers present, but now perhaps with our trainers not present. So we're, we're changing a little bit of our guidelines there, not in every situation, but on an individual and then the third thing that we're doing is this. We're already beginning to look to 2021. So in some instances, looking to 2021 is as simple as an international partner saying, the plans we had for this year, we're just moving next year. In other instances, it's a little more complicated and complex because some of our uh, experiences were embryonic in nature, sending some of our field service staff to places where we've not been before. And most often, that is a preliminary trip that is planning in nature. Some of the places where we plan to go to for that kind of preliminary trip to make plans for next year, they are not able to do that because there are several places which are just still kind of in survival mode. For example, in Puerto Rico, where we were going with an initial planning trip for 2021, they still have issues with regard to the hurricane of several years ago and the earthquake be able to assemble them at such a time to make plans for next year is probably not uh, very doable. So we are doing that as well. You know, we're looking to 2021. So our three foci, if you would put it that way, for 2020 has shifted, and we are seeking to minister to our international partners personally with whom we work. We are looking at how we can get some funding should they still be able to have the event without our presence. And the third thing is plans for 2021. In November, Brian, of 2019, FLF board uh, approved a record number of partnerships. We had 20 partnerships that were approved with four more that were in the pipeline. So it would have been probably by the end of this year, 24 partnerships, which is about 10 more than we've ever approved around the world. 
so we were really looking forward to this being a kind of a record year in that way. But um, we're um, adapting as best we can and looking forward to next year. Yeah, and of course, we know this is a, a global pandemic. I know a lot of times it's easy to focus on our own situation in the United States. At Warden Way, we've been trying to cover stories of, of Baptists around the world dealing with coronavirus. I think we've had coverage from about 30 different countries in the last three and a half months, including a number of places where FLF has partners. We've had stories in Belarus and Cuba and India and Poland and elsewhere. And so I wonder, have you heard stories from partners of... Uh, of not just you know limited travel and some of those things and you know the, they're all switching to online worship and a lot of the similar experiences we're having but have there been some stories that have that you've heard about how coronavirus has particularly been impacting the local communities and local partners yeah i think in some ways the stories that we hear is that um it well it's varied from country to country some countries internationally have followed the strictest of guidelines uh, others have been more loose from the start. And I know in particular one country where um, there was um, some issues with respect to the health of the um, people with whom they work. And some of that was due to the fact that I think the restrictions were not as tight in that country as perhaps they might have been otherwise. So now other countries, uh, most recently I, I visited with one person who um, is an important part of our partnership family. And um, he was sharing that, again, his family is fine. His children are here in the United States. So that's been a very unique kind of, of a situation. If you can imagine parents who have three kids that are here in the States and were not able to return home. And so, you know, that brought additional concern and I think pressure to this family, just like you said, how are you and your family doing? Well, in, in asking that question, we heard some poignant responses of people that were separated from their children. And in any other kind of crisis, you might have seen the kids try to get home, but of course they could not travel, you know. And so, so I think it is, it, in many ways, Brian, I think the experiences we're having here in the States are mirrored very similarly around the world. And I think in particular to the partners with whom we relate. I've often said when I've traveled, you know, to, to groups with whom I speak, uh, we know that there are great differences internationally. Uh, we speak different languages. We sometimes eat food that's prepared a little differently. And we also live in homes that are sometimes constructed to appear different ways and sometimes use different kinds of materials. But then I always say, but are we really so different? Because even though our communication might differ, everyone in the world feels the need to communicate. And even though our food may be prepared sometimes differently, everybody in the world needs daily nourishment that comes from food. And wherever you're at in the world, when people go to bed at night and turn the lights off, it is their hope that the place where they're sleeping is safe and secure until the sun comes up the next day. And so I think probably the experiences that have been ours, were we able to sit face to face and talk to our friends for a length of time, I think they would probably be very, very similar, concerned about families, concerned about their churches, trying to navigate what it means to isolate socially, to, you know, to have that kind of social distancing, but at the same point in time, trying to, trying to think through what that means to the church and, uh, and in particular to our, to our faith, you know, and so, um, 
So I think it's it's probably very similar. I, I, I don't know that we would find it a great deal different for our partners around the world, except for some of the unique things that are present locally. But I think in large part, in a, in a broad way, I think our partners are dealing with exactly the same questions, concern, and difficulties as are we here. Yeah, you know, I think you might be kind of getting to a little bit of what I wanted to ask next. And I want to talk to you a little bit more personally about your role in this ministry. You've served for years as a pastor, and now here you are with this international focus in your ministry. And I wonder, what what was this evolution like for you? What led you to this particular ministry passion? Well, my first time traveling internationally was in 1982. And um, I remember that Bob Terry, a name that you would be familiar with, was um, a member of the church where I served. And he called me, I remember, on December the 23rd, 1981 and ask if I'd be willing to go early in 1982 on a trip with Bold Mission Taiwan. And I remember I asked him, I said, Bob, when, when do you need to know? He said, well, it'd be nice to know tomorrow. And I remember I laughed and I said, <laughs> I said, Bob, I don't think I have my Christmas shopping done yet. <laughs> I'm going to have to wait a little longer. So I remember I called him on January the 2nd and found myself sometime later uh, that year in Taiwan. And it was a profound experience for me. And as a matter of fact, my wife and I, for uh, quite a period of time, nearly 18 months, um, contemplated a call toward international missions. And we were in touch with the International Mission Board at that time as well, as I served as Minister of Recreation and Youth. But, you know, our daughter, her age was such that they, at that time, uh, frowned on appointing people with children who would have been the age of our daughter once we had completed orientation and appointment and language school for two years. And so, so we did not follow through with that. But, Brian, in every church in which I've served since, okay, we I have been personally involved in international mission experiences in every church. There's not a church in which I've served since that we were not traveling internationally. And I think that's in part not because I necessarily sought to influence the church, either as a staff member or as a pastor, but they were already going that direction. I think maybe that's a part of the reason why in the churches in which we served, there was a kind of a connection, a real strong sense of call. So I think there was a growing evolution, as you might call it, of, of, a, of a desire to serve wherever God would call around the world. And plus, we, we live in a very small, connected world. I, I call this the age of near networks. Because the truth is, networks are more closely aligned today than ever before, really, in human history through technology, but also through our ability to travel, through the um, interaction with translators or other ways to to communicate. It's just we live in a very tight-knit world, as is evidenced by the fact that COVID-19 has affected people all around the world. It's a very tight network of, of human beings. And so I had a growing sense of God's leadership in my life. And in large part, when I retired from First Baptist Church, California, I remember in my last sermon with them, I I shared with them, I said, you know, my wife and I had a strong sense that God's call on our life to be engaged in international mission work is more than I felt like I could ask of the church and then continue to serve as their pastor. And so that was pretty prevalent, my desire to retire. However, I did not know 
anything about FLF being interested in talking to me at the time I retired. There was no quid pro quo or anything of that nature going on that I knew prior to. I'd already announced my retirement. But then um, I moved to Ukraine in 2016 to complete uh, work on a doctoral dissertation, a PhD that's at the University of Missouri. And during that time, I was contacted uh, by the chairperson of their board, Jerry Ogle, and was asked if I might have interest in serving as the interim executive director. And so on October the 15th of 2016, I began in that role. And then the board extended an invitation for me to serve full-time at their April board meeting in 2017. And it just, Brian, seemed the next natural progression. You know, it, it, it's, you can see God's hand leading. And um, we have a great board. Many of our board members I have known for between 30 and 40 years. And so there was an instant connection there with the board. And, uh, and we've added to our board since. And so I would say much of, you know, probably most, if not, you know, not much of what has happened with FLF on my watch has been due in large part to the great board and great leaders that we have on our board. Another thing I would say that, that um, as I thought about FLF as a potential future investment of my, of my resources, is that FLF is in a unique role that many organizations have a perception that things need to kind of be dismantled in order to move forward. That was not true with the Future Leadership Foundation. Roger Hatfield, the uh, executive director, who was the first executive director, Roger Hatfield laid a great foundation. And uh, not only a great foundation, the, the, the edifice of FLF had already risen above just the foundation. And so when, when we arrived, there was not a need to kind of like tear things apart or break things down. It was really a matter of building on the great foundation and the initial edifice of ministry that was already there. And so so it was, um, you know, it's been a pleasure to serve with this board and to serve with the many volunteers that we have with FLF because it's just been a, it's been a real challenge, but it's been a challenge that's been met by this great, strong leaders that we have from our board to our field service staff and to the many volunteers that say yes to us and come along to help train leaders globally. I want to circle back to one thing you just kind of threw in there just in a sentence that I wanted to unpack just a little bit. So you you moved to Ukraine to work on your to finish up your PhD in rural sociology at the University of Missouri. And so, what was that like? Well, it was interesting. Um, the first week of my time, the church that I served, First Baptist Church, California, had sent a mission team along with Sports Crusaders, and we did sports camps and um, and other ministries, community ministries in the Poltava region, which is kind of east-central um, Ukraine, near the unsettled area, but not, not so close to it that uh, we were ever in any threat. But nevertheless, that was the first eight days. And then the team, both Sports Crusaders and members of First Baptist California, left on a Saturday. I believe it was August the 6th. And uh, I remember as they left, and then I was put on the train with three suitcases full of clothes and a little bit of food and a lot of books to do research with and writing. Uh, as I traveled west to Lviv, where I would live the rest of my time, and I spent a little bit of time in the Borsalop and Stavnik area as well, but in large part, I leave, lived in Lviv, a city of 900,000. 
And I remember as the sun went down and I was traveling west by myself, <laughs> I think, Brian, is the first time I, I realized what I had done. <laughs> <laughs> that, at the age of, that at the age of 62, I was going to live in a foreign country for the first time for a number of months in a city where I could not speak uh, the language and I would be living primarily by myself. But, you know, my intent was to do uh, research and to write. The University of Missouri, uh, my my advisor, David O'Brien, Dr. O'Brien, a, a great man and uh, had a particular interest to focus in Eastern Europe, in Russia and uh, the Soviet Union and Ukraine, those countries a number of years ago. So he was a great encouragement, along with other members of my committee, Dr. Mary Grigsby and um, uh, Dr. Jerry Gillis, and they were just great encouragers through that. So I went primarily to to read and write and research, and I did do that, generally anywhere from seven to nine hours a day. But I also had opportunities to interact with other individuals, and and probably our podcast here is, is too short to go into lengthy detail, but suffice it to say, there were relationships that evolved that that were very serendipitous. I know led by the Holy Spirit and that I had not anticipated when I arrived. I really went to read, to write, and to research. But um, the opportunity came uh, to meet um, Valery Antonuk, who's the president of the Baptist Union of Ukraine. Uh, the opportunity to meet Mateusz Vyshery, who was at that time the president of the Baptist Union of Poland, and many other individuals as well. And so so it was interesting when the call came about whether or not I might have an interest in serving as the interim executive director. You know, I I was near my retirement time, and uh, but in particular, the relationships that opened during my time there, none of which was planned. I mean, I had no plan to travel around the country meeting with people, but invitations came. And I think that led me, Brian, to think perhaps God is opening more doors through the personal relationships that evolved while I lived there. So I love living in Ukraine. It's a great country, great people. And, um, you know, I lived at a, an apartment efficiency flat uh, there at the seminary and uh, found myself daily walking downtown. And, and uh, you know, I found myself in restaurants where I could either point and say, that's it at a buffet, or or sometimes they would have English menus and that helped as well. But and then, you know, I think being away from my family was a challenge uh, in large part because of my concern that they might need me and I would not be able to get back home quickly. My wife and I, we, we generally Skyped daily, either in the evening there, which would be the morning back here in Missouri. But my daughter about, you know, with about 46 days to go, she sent me a text and and it was a picture of she and I when she was 11 months old and I was holding her and, and, uh, you know, uh, had kissed her and somebody snapped a picture when we were at Maywood Baptist Church in Independence. And she had a copy of that picture. It was black and white. And she would text that every day with this message. Dad will be home in 46 days, seven hours and three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next day would be different. And I remember the first time, Brian, I called my wife and I said, you need to tell her don't send those. I said that it sounds like such a long time. But then in time, I look forward to those every day. So being away from family was difficult and hard, but uh, but it was an enriching experience and one that I would not trade. Again, I would say the University of Missouri, they were so strongly supportive of, of my time there, and I'm very, very grateful to them. I'm, my master's degree is from Mizzou and now my PhD, and I think highly of the institution. And uh, so, 
So they were very supportive. So a lot of support, but it was it was something that that um, was quite a challenge uh, to live in a foreign country by yourself for the first time at the age of 62. But that's the way it happened. And God blessed. So one of the things I've seen on social media is a lot of people dreaming about where they want to go when they can finally travel again. So we've been talking about all these countries and all all these partners and so forth. So where's the where's the first place when you can finally hop on that airplane about that 14 day quarantine? (laughs) Where, where, Where do you want to go? Well, I'm I'm not sure. I, I will I would say that uh, that I, I could say a lot of places. For example, um, you were with us in Poland. That was my first time in Poland. I, was it your first time? It was. Yes. It was my first time too, and and it was so beautiful. It was very unlike what I think I expected. You know, I mean, in uh, Rosklau and uh, and Warsaw and uh, Gdansk, these were beautiful cities and obviously Poland is a part of, of EU. I mean, it was it seemed rather prosperous. I remember when we traveled to Auschwitz, when I got home, I told my wife, I said, I think every person in the world should visit there, but I'm not sure I want to return because the, the experiences of the people who, who lived and, and died in that place were just so horrific. But, but we have good friends in Poland. And actually, I was to have been there in June at the graduation of the Baptist uh, Seminary in Poland, along with Patrick Wilson, pastor of Salem Avenue Baptist Church, but could not go. So that might be high on the list since I was supposed to have gone. There was an opportunity through one of our field service workers, John Jackson, to maybe travel to Estonia, which I've never been to. And uh, I was looking forward perhaps to making that trip. I always love being back in Ukraine. Dear friends in Kiev, dear friends in Lviv, uh, dear friends in, in Borislav and Stebnik and Trushkovitz. And so so uh, Ukraine is very near and dear to my heart, especially having lived there. Moldova, Jan Marone is a great Christian leader and a wonderful man, as are all the brothers and sisters in Moldova. So, you know, I to be able to go back to places where I've been would be to reacquaint with relationships of people whom I love, and it would be wonderful. But the opportunity to go new places would be of great interest as well, where FLF has work. But as as executive director, I've not yet traveled to. So I think I would have to say I would probably flip a coin, but I would I would probably wish it was like a five or six sided coin <laughs> because so you're roll, would, roll a die. Yeah, roll yeah. a die. There you go. Or or a Rubik's or Rubik's cube or something. But you know, because I, I can't think of any place that I would say I would prioritize over another because there are people whom I love and and people who are faithful, Brian, you, you know many of these people who are faithful in sharing Christ, who are faithful in building the church, who are faithful in their walk with the Lord, some of whom walked through very, very difficult experiences in the days of the Soviet Union. And so I, I hold all these people in high regard. So I don't, I don't know that I could answer that. I'd say perhaps it would be where I had a, a strong sense of God saying, now's the time to visit this place. All right. Well, that, that's fair enough. Sounds good. Well, thanks, Greg, for your time and even more so for all of the work that you are doing. And uh, it's been great with Ward and Wade to be able to partner with FLF on one time to travel with you in Poland, but also to travel to India and Cuba in relationship with FLF as well. And so uh, thanks for all that you're doing. Well, I appreciate that. And again, I cannot say enough about our board and our field service staff and all of the many volunteers who take time away from church obligations, or even in some senses, secular settings, to train Christian leaders globally. 
one last word I'll share with you. I remember we were talking, Stephen Mathis and I, at one time, a great one of our great, great board members, and we were talking about um, the focus of our endowment. And um, and one of the things that uh, Stephen said, he said, well, it, in in order to think about increasing our endowment, we have to ask this question. Do we think that the need to train Christian leaders globally will continue until the day our Lord returns? And I said, Stephen, I think the answer to that question, we know. Yes, it is. And he said, then we, we should look to improving our endowment because we envision FLF engaged in work. Now, we are learning that that may look different. As a matter of fact, let me give one other word. Our board is meeting in Liberty, Missouri in August of this year, and that meeting has been planned for over a year, well before COVID-19, but it is a three-day board retreat in which we will be looking at the future. How do we deliver services in a future where sometimes we might not be able to get those boots on the ground, but technology is evolving all the time? And it's a very timely I mean, this had been planned before this most recent crisis. So it's a very timely discussion and and we're looking forward to that. So I'm grateful for our board, grateful for our staff and grateful for uh, the many volunteers that we have. And so it's a pleasure to serve with FLF. And thank you, Brian, for your part in helping us, especially in Poland, India and Cuba. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Future Leadership Foundation at flfmissions.org, flfmissions.org. As always, you'll find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes, your favorite podcast platform, and write a positive review to help more people find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. And all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button. And whatever you give there will help support the production of this podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a deal for you. Half off for one year. Just go to tinyrel.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, you can send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.